I want you to clearly understand that gap wasn't meant for you and me, and it's a mismatch. So if your ego or your self-esteem has been taking a beating, I know I'm a good lawyer and I work so hard, so why can't I take any profits from my law firm? I'm hoping these statements that I've just made give you some relief and the courage to lay down the law, pun intended, to your bookkeeper or your accountant that you are going to liberate yourself from gap and begin taking advantage of profit-first accounting principles instead. While Arjun was away, Team Arjun came to play. All the cat's out of the bag now, folks, but we're still here bringing you our favorite and most importantly, actionable insights to Arjun's newest book, Profit First for Lawyers. We're going to help you accelerate your law firm's growth so that you can experience more profit in every aspect of your life. We're also going to be providing some behind-the-scenes footage at what it's really like to work with Arjun Robbins. So, put your BS aside for the next few minutes and put yourself, your family, your firm, and your profit first. Welcome back to another episode of the Profit First for Lawyers podcast. I'm your host, Carly, and I promised when we started this new series that we would be bringing you some history. So today, you and I are going to take a little field trip to the classroom of Arjun, where we're enrolling in History 301, all about GAP. There is so much in this lesson to get through in one episode, so this is going to be a two-parter. Forgive the cliffhanger in advance. Arjun goes over this in chapter 8 of his book, by the way. And if chapter 5 has become my most favorite chapter, chapter 8 is a close second. This was the most fun to record in the studio, and I think it's going to be really obvious why once we get going here. You wouldn't think it, because I am not a business owner, and I have never worked with financial advisors, but I was utterly fascinated at this history, and I think you will be too. So... Lean back in your seats and get ready, because we're about to hear one of the most energetic and impassioned classroom-style lectures of our lives. Now, if you're following along in the book, we're starting on page 61. Here's Professor Arjun going over the syllabus. Now, what are we learning today, Arjun? And I want you to feel liberated when you recognize that gap isn't gospel. I want you to feel empowered by the knowledge that GAP is not the only way to manage a small law firm to profitability. I want you to feel encouraged knowing that GAP is certainly not even the best way, it's never been the best way to manage your law firm to maximum profitability. I want you to clearly understand that GAP wasn't meant for you and me, and it's a mismatch. So if your ego or your self-esteem has been taking a beating, I know I'm a good lawyer and I work so hard, so why can't I take any profits from my law firm? I'm hoping these statements that I've just made give you some relief and the courage to lay down the law, pun intended, to your bookkeeper or your accountant that you are going to liberate yourself from gap and begin taking advantage of profit-first accounting principles instead. Are you getting fired up? I know I am. All right, let's get into the meat and potatoes here while Arjun takes us back in time. Let's go back in time. Imagine this in the 1920s. I'm talking about the Prohibition era, the Harlem Renaissance, flapper girls, jazz, everything that made that era an amazing time. Until, of course, it was no longer an amazing or very prosperous time because of the stock market crash. Back then, people were buying stocks on margin and making buckets of money. Buying stocks on margin meant people were basically buying stocks on credit. 
So if someone had $1,000 in life savings, remember, this is the 1920s, and they invested their life savings to acquire $10,000 worth of stock because they could get it with a 10% down payment on margin, then their entire life could change for the better practically overnight if the stock price were to increase by just a little bit. For example, if the stock went from $10,000 to even just $11,000, the investor's life savings would have just doubled. And for many people, that's exactly what happened. Just imagine doubling your life savings overnight, just like that. <coughs> Crypto. If the investor's stock pick went to $20,000, then they could make a $9,000 profit on an investment of just that same $1,000. That's a 900% gain. Multiply your life savings by 90 to understand what a huge incentive people had during those times to invest their life savings into the stock market on margin. But is it really called an investment if you can't tell anything about the financial health of the company? What if company A issues financial reports one way and company B issues financial reports a different way, and company C issues its financial reports in a different way from the other two. How do you imagine the average investor was supposed to make an apples-to-apples -apples comparison between three different companies or manage their investments when so many of the publicly traded companies were each keeping their books in completely different ways? This question is obviously a rhetorical question because clearly the answer is, you can't. And now think about what an impossible challenge it must have been for the regulators back then to regulate thousands of those different companies when they were each presenting their financials, perhaps accurately, but using different standards. Then on October 24th, 1929, there was a panic and stocks lost about 11% of their value. Now, keep in mind, those who had bought all of their stocks on margin and they didn't have the additional resources to cover their margin call, they're wiped out. The following Monday, October 28th, 1929, also known as Black Monday, the stock market on that day went down another 12%. And most of those who were able to survive the first drop, they got wiped out by the second one due to a lack of capital reserves or lack of confidence to put more of their capital at risk. And as if that wasn't bad enough, then on Black Tuesday, October 29th, 1929, the stock market drops another 11% and everyone gets wiped out. Now, people think the 1929 stock market crash was caused by widespread fraud. It wasn't. It was caused by widespread overspeculation because investors did not have enough reserve capital to respond to those margin calls. And then, of course, there was the panic because the investors were over-leveraged but didn't have reliable information about the true financial health of the companies they had invested in, gambled on, due to the lack of any uniform standards for the presentation of financial statements. And yes, there was also a lot of fraudulent activities, or at least activity that would be deemed to be fraudulent under today's rules and regulations for how publicly traded companies are keeping their books and report their financial activities. Something must be done, and something was done. Okay, 
Arjan goes into a lot of very interesting and full detail here in the book. But I'll summarize for now so we can get to the main point of today's lesson. If you want to read more, look to pages 64 through 65. In the meantime, here's what happened. So the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants formed a committee to compose a set of rules and regulations to make sure that all publicly traded companies had a standard of transparency, consistency, and accuracy in their financials so that investors would be able to make informed decisions about the companies they invested in. Okay, Professor Arjun, they're ready for you. Take it away. Nowhere did anyone involved in the creation of GAAP ever even claim that it was the only way to transparently, accurately, and consistently report the financial conditions of a company. No one from the committee ever even claimed that GAAP was necessarily the best way. No one involved in the promulgation of GAAP was trying to find a way to maximize or protect the company's profitability. It was all about transparency, accuracy, and consistency for the investors. And after all, when is the last time you ever saw a committee of 18 people produce the best of anything? Committees are where the best ideas go to die and where compromises get made. The original version of GAP was the product of negotiations and arguments and compromises. The goal of the committee was to standardize financial reporting to make it easier for investors in publicly traded companies to make apples to apples comparisons and to make it easier for regulators to do their job. It wasn't meant to maximize the profitability of the business. And guess what else? Almost every single year since its creation back in the 1930s, there have been some pretty major amendments and ongoing debates and changes keep getting made to GAAP. So not only was GAAP hastily created as an unapologetic compromise meant to facilitate easier regulation of publicly traded companies, but it keeps changing. And that is what your CPA and your bookkeeper keep using as their excuse to put your profits last instead of first in their order of priority for the financial management of your non-publicly traded law firm. And just so you don't gloss over the importance of what I just said, I'm gonna repeat that last part again. Your law firm is not a publicly traded company. So you are not required to manage your law firm in strict or even in loose compliance with GAAP if you don't want to. And you shouldn't because GAAP puts your profits last. So doesn't it make so much more sense to put your profits first? Now, if you're thinking to yourself, well, you know, you're not a securities lawyer, or maybe you are a securities lawyer, but if you're thinking to yourself, yeah, you didn't pick up this book to learn how to invest in the stock market, and your law firm isn't a publicly traded company, well, I'm going to repeat this for you for the third time. Your law firm is not a publicly traded company. So by now, maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, this has nothing to do with me. Yes, you're, that's the whole point. Gap has nothing to do with you. That's the whole point of this chapter. Gap has nothing to do with you. Gap has nothing to do with you. Ooh, now you can see why this is one of my favorite chapters, right? Remember that cliffhanger I mentioned earlier? Well, we've reached it. 
If you can't wait until episode 31 to hear the rest, skip ahead to page 67 in your copy of Profit First for Lawyers and read on. And if you haven't yet picked up your copy of the book, it's available in hardback and Kindle editions on Amazon, or you can go to ProfitFirstForLawyers.com and snag your copy. Otherwise, that's what we've got for you today, folks. Stay tuned next time for more great actionable content. We'll see you there. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Profit First for Lawyers. If you're enjoying what you're hearing, tell a friend. And buy your copy of the book at ProfitFirstForLawyers.com. Your future self will thank you for it. And we will see you next time.